good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas, as the case may be for you. I get second Thanksgiving tonight. I'm cooking. All right, my name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here, and today we as a church are embarking on a new adventure with our Sunday morning messages, a one to three year to eternity adventure. As many of you know, I have been attending Luther Seminary for fun for the last year and a half. I graduate in June. I'm really excited about that. Uh, while I've been in seminary, I've run into a whole bunch of pastors and fellow students who are interning in churches, where their churches preach through what is called in church language a lectionary. A lectionary is just a Bible reading plan, where the passages are chosen in a way that lets you read from every book of the Bible through the course of a year, usually three short readings per day. A lot of churches across many denominations follow one of these Bible reading plans through the year, and they even preach from the plan every week on Sunday, and I have seen some advantages of following these plans. I'm going to share three of them with you. First off, we get to read the Bible together. You can read the, this plan with your friends or your life group. You can interact with other church members knowing we've been reading through the same passages together. The Bible's actually meant for 1,500 years. The way that you read the Bible was to hear it read out loud together in a group. And then you talked about what it meant together. And in reading a plan together, we have the opportunity to live out some of how people have related to the Bible for all these years. Second advantage is that we wind up reading from every book of the Bible. I've talked to like four or five friends in the last couple months who tried to read the whole Bible, and they got to a certain book, and they got bogged down, and they died. And usually that book is Numbers. But I had one friend tell me he got to Jeremiah, and he's like 30 chapters of sadness, dude. I had to tap out, right? Those of us who've read Jeremiah know what he's talking about, right? Reading this Bible reading plan together means you wind up getting a good picture at least of passages from every book in the Bible, and you wind up being able to connect with all of them. The third advantage is when our, that our Bible reading is now connected to our Sunday teaching and preaching. And so when you do your daily Bible readings, you're preparing yourself for the message you're going to hear on Sunday. And the preaching team is going to deliver these messages that come from where your readings left off. And you can even read the Sunday readings before you get to church, and then you'll be all ready for like whatever the Word of God's going to be as we receive it on Sunday morning. So I proposed to our staff and our preaching team, maybe we could try preaching from a lectionary for a year. And I thought this was the most radical idea that was going to get me shot, right? Because this is more like traditional and liturgical, and this church isn't those things very much, right? And so I tossed it out there, and I said, you know, one benefit is for the preaching team, you can know exactly what you'll be preaching about. And for our volunteer preaching team, that's a real benefit. I remember when I didn't preach very often, and it would take me three weeks, a month, two months to feel like I had a real grip on what I was going to be preaching. I had so much, like, you know, nerves and preparation to do. And so for our volunteer preaching team, having a lot of extra notice about the exact passages they'll preach from is really a blessing. And there's a site on the web called Working Preacher. You can check it out yourself. It's run by my friend Rolf Jacobson, who preached with us last year. And Working Preacher has Bible commentary written by pastors for every passage. And so on any Sunday, you can click and get six different pastors' takes on the meaning and the background of the passage and how it applies to our everyday lives. And so the idea is that these resources can empower our team to serve you more effectively in the year to come. We want to help you 
connect with the Bible and engage with the Bible in your everyday life. And I was real surprised every single person said that sounds like a great idea. So I threw this idea out thinking it would get shot down right away and that I would be told to go away. And instead, everybody was like, how about we do that? And I was thinking three to five years out, and they were thinking, no, how about we start now? And so we prayed about this, and we talked about it for some months, and we believe this is where God is leading us. And so today, we are starting a one-year experiment where there will be Bible reading plans available to you throughout the year. And so if you look in your program, you will see an Advent Bible reading plan. And it runs through December 23rd. That's the last day of Advent. That's not the day the Bible ends. All right. And so there will be another plan before the 23rd that will continue from the 24th on. But as you look through, you can see the readings that are available every day. Version is the most popular Bible app available on every phone, tablet, computer device. And with Version, you can look these things up in a minute and you can read them and slow down and pray and talk to God about them. And so I want to encourage you to take this and leave it somewhere where you'll run into it every day and remember to do it. For those of you who have not done a Bible reading plan before, let me tell you how a Bible reading plan goes. You start with passion and energy and you read the Bible every day until you don't, right? On the day that you forget to read or didn't read or whatever, you have a choice. Am I a quitter or am I getting back up on that horse? And so here's what you don't do. Don't try to make up the days you forgot. You're going to think, I should totally make up the days I forgot. You're wrong. You should not. Just read the next day. Get back on the horse. This is how you become a person who's in it for the long haul. And so I encourage you, take this Bible reading plan home. Get started with us and see what God does. And so uh, this lectionary we've chosen is actually in a three-year cycle. We're doing year C, for those of you who care about these things. If you want to go look up the uh, revised common lectionary plan yourself, you can. Um, and so there's a possibility we'll do this for three years. There's a possibility we'll do this for longer. And so this is a change. I think it's going to be a good change. Now, some things are not going to change. We're going to do our best to be faithful to the Word of God, to the Bible, and to Christ. And we're going to keep working to empower you to love God and love people and change the world through these messages. So today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the church word for the weeks leading up to Christmas. It's a season of anticipating the coming Christ. And during Advent, we're going to have these candles lit by people from the church community, like the Lounsberries today and the Gustafsons in first service, and they're going to have readings. And then our sermons are also going to have something to do with the anticipated coming of Christ into the world and into our lives again. This year's Advent passages are centered in the Gospel of Luke, and today's central passage actually comes from near the end of Jesus' life. It comes from Luke 21. And a little bit of background before we dive into the specific passage for today. In Luke 21, Jesus starts telling his followers warnings about the coming future. He tells them at the start of this chapter that the time is coming when the temple in Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. This is as big a deal as you can possibly imagine for his listeners. This is exactly like us being told not one brick of the White House will be left standing on one other brick. Can you imagine everything it would take for that to become reality? The entire Jewish society was organized around the temple, and for it to be destroyed, military forces would have to have defeated the entire nation. And so Jesus tells them early in this chapter, be on the lookout, be alert. Foreign nations are going to come, they're going to circle Jerusalem, a ton of people are going to be killed. You need to be ready to flee because the time of the Gentiles is coming. That's the Roman Empire coming in. 
And then he says that time's not going to last forever. After that, he says, today's reading happens. And I'm going to read through today's reading in three sections. This is Luke 21, verses 25 to 36. Let's read the first section together. Jesus says, And there will be strange signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. <coughs> and then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. And so when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Now, this is an apocalyptic passage. Jesus is preaching apocalyptic themes here. These are themes similar to what we see in the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And apocalyptic in the first century was actually a genre, and it no longer exists today. But a genre is a category of literature like poetry or short stories or novels or fantasy or mystery or romance or any of those things. In the first century, apocalyptic was a well-known category of writing, and we have a number of apocalypses, those in the Bible and many others, that have survived till, the, to the, till today. And apocalyptic passages, apocalyptic writings, have a purpose. It is to encourage people who are going through hard times. Anybody gone through any hard times in the last two years? Anybody besides me? Hard times? We got some hard times going on around here. The way apocalyptic encourages us is by revealing that on a spiritual level, it's still God who's in charge. That's the truth of apocalyptic literature. It shows us that despite what we see happening here, which often is broken and hard and painful, God still reigns. Jesus still sits on the throne. The Mighty One is still for us, and we are going to be rescued. And so Jesus is saying in this passage, number one, creation's going to go topsy-turvy someday. And how many people know creation has gone topsy-turvy? We have got some flat-out topsy-turvy going on. I mean, just there's no snow right now, you know? Like when I was a kid, that wasn't really a thing, right? In December or whatever, late November. Jesus says the heavens themselves are going to be shaken. People are going to be terrified. And so these are realities that the world is broken, things get messed up, and everyone runs around afraid. But the message here is that we, as followers of Jesus, do not need to be afraid because Jesus is alive. He's eternally resurrected. He's the Son of God. And so when all the people around us are afraid, we can take heart. You know what? Jesus is coming back. God is still God. And our salvation is not running away from us with all the troubles. Our salvation is near. The point of these passages is rarely or even never to figure out the symbols and turn them into some kind of wooden prediction. The point is to let you know you can depend on God now and forever through all things. And I believe the word. I trust that someday in this life or the next, we are going to see the Son of Man, the greatest human who's ever lived, Jesus Christ, come in power and glory. And so we can share the prayer that God would give us strength to stand as our salvation comes near. Help us, Lord. So your world's been threatened by a pandemic, fractured by polarization, 
overall just damaged by the conditions of 2020 and 2021, which our grandchildren are gonna get tired of hearing about as we talk about it, right? Back when I was a kid and the pandemic first came, right? The Omicron variant might shake us all up again. The earthly reality that we are facing has been legitimately harder than it's been in the past for lifetimes. At the same time, Jesus Christ sits on the throne of God. And Jesus Christ is waiting along with us for the day the Father says it's time to come home. Our earthly reality is threatened, but our heavenly reality is secure. You are made for eternal life, and your salvation is forever near. Let's read verses 29 to 33. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. It's really hard to read a summer verse right now, but whatever. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Now, this is the kind of prophetic passage that makes the Bible kind of hard to understand in some ways. Um, scholars generally agree that the Gospel of Luke was written somewhere between like 80 and 110 AD. This is well after the temple did fall in Jerusalem. And so the writer here <coughs> is showing Jesus, telling us that Jesus' generation won't pass away until Jerusalem and the temple have fallen and Jesus has returned. And yet Jerusalem and the temple had already fallen, and Jesus had not yet returned, last I checked, unless we missed it, right? In which case, it's very pointless. Fifty years after Jesus' death is at least one full generation, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. And so I'll be honest with you. I have heard an explanation that works with me, and I'm going to share it with you. And that's that the word for generation here can be used to mean family or race of people or a generation, as in, uh, you know, genealogy and also can be used to mean roughly infinity, okay? This works for me. It appears to be true from how the word is used in other contexts in the Bible, which I have looked up in the Greek. Darn seminary is infecting me. All right, but you know what? I'm not actually sure everything that's going on in this passage. I don't always know how to interpret the Bible. No matter how much you study, there are still passages that can escape us, right? So I've read some commentaries, I read some Greek definitions and so forth. And I'll tell you what I think Jesus is getting at, regardless of what this passage means. He's getting at those of us who follow Jesus are going to see Jesus. How good is that? That's pretty good. And so regardless of the details, regardless of how it works out, the promises of God are eternal. Unlike even the heavens and the earth, which will be made new, the promises of Christ stand forever. Jesus finishes today's passage with a further warning, verse 34 through 36. He says, watch out! Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Oh, you're so kind, Anita. I got water. <sighs> Keep alert at all times. And pray that you may be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. All right, so as always, friends, there's some background here that's important to keep in mind when we see these watch out, work hard verses. The grace of God is free. The love of God is for you all the time, period. God delights in you. 
God loves you exactly as you are today, however you came, whatever state you're in, whatever you've done, right or wrong, whatever you're afraid you might do, right or wrong. God loves you and delights in you. That's the grace of God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, God can just stand with his arms open toward you for the rest of your life. That's how God stands toward you, always. And so you can just step into the arms of God anytime. I hope that's what you're doing today. At the same time, there are a couple ways of life that we can choose. There's the path of living for ourselves. That's one of the paths that Jesus talks about here. And it's really interesting to me. He talks about two main ways of living for yourself. On the one hand, there's partying and drinking. And on the other hand, there's worrying about life. And I normally consider those to be two different kinds of people. Maybe that's because I was a stoner. And so the party drinking people were like not so worried, right? Smoke your worries away. And then the worried people over here are like, I can't party. What are you doing? Do you know, know how bad that is for you, right? And so Jesus talks about two ways that you can actually dull your heart toward the good news of God. One is drinking and carousing. I remember living on the party scene. I lived for my next high and for the parties where I would meet people to get high with. And it absolutely did make my heart dull. I came to overlook my shortcomings. I ignored the problems in my life, and I ignored the problems I caused other people in my life. And over time, I became more selfish instead of more loving. And so I understand what Jesus is talking about here. It's like if you live and make partying and carousing the center of your life, you're going to wind up in an unhelpful place. And Jesus includes another way to have a dull, here, dull heart here. He says it's by worrying about life. The Bible is very clear about worry. The Bible is very repetitive about worry. Jesus says, do not worry. In Philippians, Paul says, do not worry. Heck, the Thanksgiving giveaway this message this year was on this passage. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about things. Tell God what you need and give him thanks for what he's done. Because unfortunately, worry chokes the good news out of our lives. That's the message of Jesus in another passage, the parable of the four soils. A parable is a story, and Jesus tells a story with a meaning. In that story, there's a farmer. The farmer represents God, and he's chucking seeds around willy-nilly. He's like the least effective farmer in mankind's history. He's throwing seeds everywhere. And the seed represents the good news, that God loves us and that the kingdom of heaven is near. And some of the seed falls on good soil, and it falls in good soil. That's the heart of people who believe, and it grows up, and it becomes fruitful right? And then there's a path over here with a bunch of thorny weeds. And he throws some seed over there, and it grows up, and the weeds choke the seed life out. And Jesus says that is people who are distracted by the worries of this life. Worry actually functions like a thorny weed in your heart, choking out the good news. And it's easy when you think about it, right? Like, how focused are you on the good news while you're worrying? Zero percent, right? Like zero percent give or take. And so Jesus is just saying here, God invites you into a life that is centered on Christ and the kingdom, where we give up both drunkenness and carousing, and give up trying to be in control by worrying about things that are outside our control anyway, right? Of course, God has all kinds of grace. He says, don't worry about tomorrow because there's enough worries today. God knows, like, we're going to worry once in a while. But he invites us to really let go of that as much as possible so that the message of God's love can grow up in our hearts. Okay? So don't let drunkenness and parties be your life and don't let worries devour your life. Instead, stay alert 
and pray for the strength to stand. The grace and love of God are free for you. The kingdom of heaven is near to you. And so be alert because you have a chance to live in those things for the rest of your life every single day. Now, I'll be honest, it's a weird experience for me to be preaching an apocalyptic passage from the end of Jesus' life on the first Sunday in Advent, where we're supposed to be talking about little baby five-pound, six-ounce Jesus, as Will Ferrell would put it, right? It's possible that I went on Facebook, where my friends who preach from the lectionary live, and posted, what on earth are we doing preaching an apocalypse on the Advent? And they said, there's a method to our madness. The idea here is to begin with the end in mind. And so as we begin the Christmas season, there are going to be all kind of images of Jesus in a baby, Jesus in Mary's arms, Jesus as a little boy fleeing persecution as a refugee into Egypt. Throughout Advent, we normally focus on Jesus' coming. At the same time, Jesus knew what he was doing when he left heaven. Jesus knew he was the Son of God, eternally begotten of God, through whom everything was created. And he came down here for a reason. And that reason is tied to today's apocalyptic passage. Jesus left heaven because God knows life in this world is hard. God knew there'd be persecutions and circumstances and temptations that are beyond any of us. And God knows we're prone to responding by partying and by worrying and doing all kind of unhelpful things on our own. For all these reasons, Jesus Christ came to live with us 2,000 years ago. God came because life in this broken world is hard, and God knows we need the presence and the power that are available because Jesus came. And so in Advent, we are waiting for the incarnation and the birth, and we are also fully connected to the resurrected Lord who came because we needed him. As you navigate the Christmas season this year, I encourage you. Keep in your mind and in your heart the risen Christ who has done everything needed to connect us with God and the kingdom of heaven while the world is broken. Just let Jesus walk through the season with you. Your day of freedom from oppression is coming. Glory be to God. Amen? All right. I invite the worship team to come back forward. <coughs> and I invite you to stand as you are able we like to close with worship and prayer because those are the most important things we can do when we get together on a Sunday. And I also want to share three tips with you for putting the Word of God into practice as we have received the Word of God this week. Tip number one, read Luke 21. It's a whole apocalyptic passage and you don't have to understand everything going on in it. As you read, pray and ask God to help you hear what he wants to say to you. Through scripture. That's a great way to read every passage. Just ask God to help you here. Tip number two, pray for readiness for Christ's coming. Jesus is saying in today's passage, be alert. The kingdom is coming. When we're paying attention, there are so many opportunities to see where God is breaking into this world. And when we stop paying attention, we miss him. And so ask God to help you be ready for the coming of Christ. Tip number three, follow the Advent Bible reading plan in your program. I bet there's an app for that. I should have looked that up before right now. For sure, you can take the plan we have in your program and look up those passages every day. And when you come next week, you're going to be ready to hear the Advent message that's delivered by another member of our preaching team. 
I'm going to lead us in prayer at this time. If you are on the prayer ministry team, could you come forward and stand up here at the sides? Thank you, friends. So God, I am so grateful that you have sent us Christ. I'm grateful that you've already come, that you see our brokenness, our temptations, our failures, and our flaws, and that instead of rejecting us, you come to us. Thank you for coming again. I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit today. Holy Spirit, come. Uh, God, many of us love Christmas, and we're real excited about this season, and many of us are extra sad come Christmas time. I pray that for all of us in this room, you would help us stay connected to your risen and resurrected Son. Jesus, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and keep us tied to you all the way through the Christmas season. I pray that you would release in us a willing ability to read the Bible and to hang together through it. I pray that you'd be with us as we close in worship and prayer, God. Amen. The worship team will let us know when it's time to go. If you're visiting today, I'd love to meet you by the Welcome Center. God bless you as we close in worship.